listening to Ouija Broads. This is Liz. This is Devin. Devin, I got a lot to cover today. Oh, I can't This wait. topic, I think it's a banger because <laughs> everything I followed up on was a new explosion of nonsense. <laughs> so, you know, usually you get, you, you will follow something like two or three clicks down, yeah. so to speak, right? Yeah. Where you're like, okay, this person is mentioned. I'll look them up and see what their deal was. Maybe they were involved in something and I'll find out what that thing was. Yeah. And in this case, it felt like every person I tried to do that with, instead of being boring, it was wild. Every time. <laughs> <laughs> so a little housekeeping though about the Patreon. First of all, want to thank some new patrons. I'd like to thank Galen, Kim, Behavior Plus, intriguing, mm. Sassy, Steph, and Rebecca. Always thanking old and new patrons as well. Existing patrons who've been with us, you know that I'm switching stuff up. Mm -hmm. Folks who might not have been into the Patreon page yet. I decided not to try to manage tears anymore. Now it's just $5 and you get the stuff. We're just... That's our new model is the grilled cheese food truck model. Yep. It's like you you give us $5 and you get this. That's it. Yep. The end of transaction. Yeah. You get what you get. No substitutions, mm. friends. Yep. And I wanted to bring up one other thing, which is that if you are in the situation where you've gotten a shout out in the past with a name that you're not using for reasons that are important to you... Shoot me an email and we can get you a fresh shout out because oh, cool. I don't want you to burn it on a name that you don't like anymore or use for various reasons. That's my pitch. What a good pitch. We getting in here? Pitch you ready? perfect. I'm light this so candle? ready for this just layer cake of bizarre. Okay. After your last episode, I was so excited about shipwrecks. Yes, I you should was be. So excited. And I got this book, which was my major source of information. I sat down with it today because mm -hmm. I'm a professional. So professional. It is by Robert C. Bellick, and it's called Great Shipwrecks of the Pacific Coast. And I can <laughs> see I got it from Aunties. And what's great about this is it's tagged as boating. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know. It's really like a how-to. How-to boating. I mean, I was laughing because this is the book that every article I wrote about or referenced the last time was like, and you really have to read Great Shipwrecks of the it's Pacific good. Northwest. So I'm like, okay, this book slaps, but I love it. It's not a how-to. This is a how-not-to. Boating. <laughs> Boating. So I initially thought I was going to bring you a selection of them because there's oh. about, I don't know, 10 in here. And I was like, okay, well, we'll find out about this one and that one. But then I ran into the situation I described. And I'm only bringing you one. And it is called The Brother Jonathan. I like I this. It sounds like an indie <laughs> band. It kind of does, yeah. Or maybe a small-time cult leader. Mm. A little hard to tell. Yes. What I gathered is that in the days before they had Uncle Sam as sort of a, you know, fictional representative yeah. symbol of the U.S., Brother Jonathan was like the same thing for New England for some reason. Uh, okay. So that's the context for the name. The context for the ship is that it was a gold rush side wheeler. Mm. And what that means is that in the mid to late 1800s, mm -hmm. right, where, where this whole story happens around the end of the Civil War. So going back a little further than we often go. And in that time, the ships that they had available 
were, you know, tall masted sailing ships and they had steamboats. So the brother Jonathan said, steamboat or tall masted sailing ship? Yes. (laughs) And it is very strange looking. And so many of the other ones in this book are just as strange looking. (laughs) This was a legitimate thing they did is they've got, they're called side wheelers because they have two of those big paddle wheels, Mm -hmm. right? They're not like... You know, Captain Andy's floating show with one big wheel on the back. Yeah. They got him out the side. Yeah. Like, I don't even know how to describe Like paneers. This. And they've like got Like donkey sails. saddlebags. Oh, and sails, yeah. though. What's? No. No. And you sails. can have one yeah. or the other. You don't get both. Uh, they would have both. No. And if you're thinking, that seems like a weird design for the graveyard of the Pacific, you're correct. <laughs> Not necessarily the best design for the kind of turbulence that you can go through around here, but it's the gold rush. So you gotta get people (laughs) up the coast. (laughs) You gotta do it. And since a lot of the ships that were around were kind of involved in the war (laughs) Mm -hmm. and getting all tied up there, there's all these ships that are... Getting completely, you know, in the, on the East Coast, they would trash them. They would be sold for scrap. Yeah. But because they are so desperate for naval transport out here and don't have any damn regulations, <laughs> if you're whatever it is can float all the way to California, you can sell it. <laughs> that's good enough. That's good enough. And that's where the brother is at okay. when we first meet it. The brother Jonathan. By 1861, it is already described as being in disrepair, (laughs) which is pretty impressive because it was made in only 10 years earlier. Is that all? That's not that bad. No. But, you know, it put a lot of mileage on it and it was set up to do New York to Panama and then ended up getting sold forward into the West Coast gold rush route. Yeah. Now, I don't know a ton of naval things, but one superstition I've heard is that you cannot change the name of a ship. Have oh, you heard that one? no, I've heard that a ship should always have a woman's name, but not that you couldn't change it. So, yeah, this is a tradition that. Okay. I think I've only come across in like ghost stories and shipwreck stories, basically. Yeah. Because <laughs> I think it's probably the kind of thing that only gets involved retroactively. So, if. <laughs> A ship was, you know, <laughs> named something and then named something else and then nothing bad happened. Then we'd never hear of be it. Like, oh, did you know there's a thing about changing the name? <laughs> I also appreciate that you're in my frame of reference is ghost stories or shipwreck stories. Those are our gospel tomes. <laughs> the two genders. The t- <laughs> <laughs> Ghosts and shipwrecks. Yes. <laughs> there are two wolves fighting inside of you. <laughs> After only about 10 years, the brother Jonathan has been renamed the Commodore. Oh, fancy. And then gets sold to a different company and gets put back to the original name of brother Jonathan. I don't know Uh, if that helps in a a situation like this. No, too late. Too late. Yeah. So the reason why they decide to change the name back almost certainly is because in 1858, the Commodore formerly Brother Jonathan, hits this really severe storm and is almost lost, has to turn back 
from where it's headed go back to San Francisco while the crew and all the passengers are throwing everything overboard. Oh no. So all the cargo, all their personal belongings oh, no. are getting oh, no. hurled <laughs> over because there's no weight restrictions on how heavy you can load these gold yeah. rush ships. So they would head out with like a couple feet above what is that called it's something like that freeboard that's it there were ships that would <laughs> be leaving Liz, that's what hippies they know that's what hippies stay at concerts freeboard. play freeboard <laughs> <laughs> no but the ships would be so loaded with cargo mm-hmm. that they would have only a couple feet of freeboard meaning the part between the top of the water and the top of the piece that keeps the water out of your boat <laughs> You want that bigger. You want that <laughs> Unless so you're in a paddle big. Boat. You want it so <laughs> a kayak big. of some kind. <laughs> <laughs> the Commodore has been carrying around various prospectors and good time girls and miners and card sharps and merchants and all this kind of stuff. And in 1858, she gets into a storm. Everybody's throwing their stuff overboard and they get back to San Francisco basically. They've lost all the money that they would have spent on their ticket to go to where the gold is. And they've lost all their stuff. All their stuff. And they're back in San Francisco. I mean. And so this she's is when coming company back says, riding high with people yeah. wearing barrels for pants because they had to jettison those. I just love this, like, yeah. walk of shame she had to do back into the harbor. Exactly. You're like, oh, I forgot. It's like, and you forget your mask. Like, you just kind of yeah. walk out and then you come back and you're like, ah, and I left my purse in the car. Back Crap. to the car. Like, Yeah, so this has a bad reputation, because Mm. that left a lot of people with a bad taste in their mouth, Mm -hmm. and that's probably why it became the brother Jonathan again. (sighs) So keep in mind that the ship that we know has already almost died as we head into this. (laughs) Yes. I didn't realize they could go this fast, but the brother Jonathan had a reputation as a very fast steamer making the run from San Francisco to Vancouver. It was said to be able to make the run in 69 hours, which first off, nice. <laughs> and secondly, <laughs> it was going 429 miles an hour. <laughs> nice, nice, nice. Secondly, I'm like, how? Okay, I would have thought it would be like a couple weeks. I didn't realize it'd be like a couple days to get up there. Right. But it was like wild. Seattle to Vancouver now on a ferry is three hours, you know, and that feels slow. So thinking all the way from California to Vancouver, shoot, they dude. They're hauling. They're hauling. Yeah, with their weird paddle sail situation. All in the mail, man. Yeah. In 1865, in the summer, where you can always tell when I start getting more specific about seasons and dates. Mm-hmm. Like once I'm down to the month, we're really in for it. Yes. The brother Jonathan collides with another ship in the Columbia River and damages the hull. And <laughs> oh, in the Columbia River, you say? In mm-hmm, that in place? Very, in, in that river. So she has this new captain because the other captain got in an argument about the Civil War and got shot. <laughs> so now we have <laughs> Captain DeWolf. 
who's just assumed command of the vessel in June, and the thing goes straight into another ship and gets a giant hole in the hull. Oh my goodness. The problem being, it should be repaired in dry dock, but they've got so much business that they have a backlog of cargo and passengers, so they're like, fuck it, just like fix it real quick while it's in the water. It's not. This will pay off. <laughs> have you ever have you ever tried to repair a hole in your pantyhose with nail polish while you're still wearing them? Because I have, and what happens is you lacquer your pantyhose to your leg. <laughs> yeah. And I imagine this is a similar situation. Yeah, you're like, it's just, it's not going to be the same. There's a reason the dry dock exists. Totally a reason. <sighs> One important sidebar that I want to call out is that whether or not this ends up being an Oregon wreck or a California wreck is complicated oh physically physically it is off the shore of california we'll get to how that happened in a bit oh but i'm trying to explain to you why i think this is an oregon story there's a couple reasons all right one is that it was going to oregon and actually made it and then turned back before it sank okay secondly a lot of the passengers were important to northwest history thirdly an Oregonian found it, which uh-huh. becomes a big issue later, which okay. we'll talk about as well. And finally, it has a symbolic role in Oregon history. So after President James Buchanan signed the bill admitting Oregon to the Union as a state, yeah. they wired the news to St. Louis. From St. Louis, it went by stagecoach to San Francisco. Oh, my gosh. And in San Francisco, that telegram was put on the Commodore. Which then toted it up to Portland, delivering the official notification of statehood to the people of Oregon. So cool. Now, obviously, they knew. Like, they knew it was going to (laughs) happen. They weren't waiting to find out. Okay. But it was symbolic, and that's cool. For sure. So that's part of my case for why it's in our wheelhouse, so to speak. Mm -hmm. All right. Now we're getting down to specific dates, so it's on. The ship is set to depart. On July 28th, 1865, it's going as it does from San Francisco to Portland and Vancouver. Okay. Things are already strange before it even leaves San Francisco. According to Captain DeWolf's wife, he felt the ship was already sitting too low in the water, even without the passengers. Oh, wow. Just with the cargo. So there is a story of a shipping agent meeting with him. And saying, basically, do this or we're going to replace you. And we don't want to hear about yeah. it. Now, with both what his wife says and that story in general, you're like, I mean, it could have happened. Mm-hmm. But also, like, who who heard this? Mm-hmm. Who had this information? Why would somebody actually do that? Is it that easy to come up with a new captain? Would you just regard yeah. the captain if you had crashed the boat the month before? <laughs> like... <laughs> He seriously, like, mm-hmm. the, the, it keeps happening. Yeah. Like, the ship, the ship is on its third or fourth life at this point. Yeah. What was said is that when it came time to depart, the bottom of the ship was actually sunk in the mud, and they had to wait until high tide oh. to pull it out. Oh, no. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. Let me give you a sense of what's on there. So, there's often a distinction for some reason between cargo and passenger ships that was not really functional at at this time so Mm -hmm. there's a lot of people that we'll talk about but it's also carrying railroad equipment 
hundreds of barrels of whiskey, <laughs> hundreds of thousands of dollars in gold. We'll come back oh. to that. Two camels for the Portland what? Zoo. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, some camels. And a three-stamp ore crusher, which I went down a whole rabbit yeah. hole just finding out what that means. But what it is, is basically... It's there. They have a way of crushing ore with a stamp, and there were three of them. And what it means oh. is that it's this giant piece of machinery that weighs about forty five hundred pounds. All right, big boy on this ship that's like stuck in the mud. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I also just thinking that it crushes ore. I mean, I it's the song that that's all. There's three of them. Yep, yep. and the camels. Yeah. And the camels, the, the camels. The number of people that were on board is also argued, and you will see hugely variant estimates. Mm. In the Supreme Court case, it says 54 crew, 109 passengers. Supreme Court case? Yeah, oh, we'll get there. Oh, my. Uh, <laughs> this story has everything. <laughs> oh, my. 54 crew, 109 passengers, except I've seen resources that say 200 passengers, 250 passengers. Mm. And it starts to get into numbers where you're like, they didn't have birth for that. Like, yeah. technically, they were allowed to put as many people in first class as they wanted, but that was pretty much a self-regulating thing. Yeah. Because it's not like you're going to cram them that tight into first class. Yeah. But we don't really know, and we'll we'll probably never know because things are being done fast and cheap, and not everybody's updating the passenger registry, mm -hmm. and people are selling their tickets, and just don't really know. Mm -hmm. So, July twenty eighth, the brother Jonathan leaves with this inauspicious start. Okay, within hours, it runs into a gale. And most of the passengers are over this. They get seasick. They go into their cabins oh. for the night. Okay. Sorry to even bring it up. <laughs> it's a pretty uneventful voyage until early on Sunday morning of July 30th. So it makes it to Crescent City, anchors in the harbor, mm -hmm. and then leaves to go out on the next leg. There's more storms. The seas are so bad near the California and Oregon border, that they're going, like, four miles an hour less. They're going excruciatingly yeah. slow in extremely choppy seas, burning all this fuel, wearing everybody out. Yeah. And Captain DeWolf says, no, this is a bad idea. We're turning around. <laughs> I'm turning the ship around. Okay. But, you know, they're they're barely past Crescent City. They have a safe enclosed bay that they could be in. Yeah. Why do this? Totally. It's only like an hour away if you're not going into a ridiculous headwind. Okay. So they turn around. Now, normally, there's a part of the coast that people would avoid. And in these circumstances, for reasons that are unclear, the brother Jonathan fails to avoid what is called the dragon's teeth. <laughs> No, isn't that a metal name? It's so badass. It's so good. It is in, it's part of St. George's Reef. Okay. And one very exciting resource I found said that it was named by Sir Francis Drake. And I'm like, probably not. <laughs> I don't think so. I feel like probably the resource that said Sir George Vancouver named it. There you go. Might make a little more sense to me. There you uh, go. <laughs> and yeah, they're in... St. George's Reef, which has these these 
very sharp, jagged, huge rocks mm-hmm. that are like the teeth. And the problem is that the brother Jonathan, as it turns around, is somehow not avoiding these adequately because they are getting in close to port. Okay. It's all part of the same path that they have to travel. Yeah. And so some, like Wikipedia just says struck a rock. And that's a really straightforward way of describing something much worse <laughs> which is this is not like <laughs> uh, you're not really getting at the horror of it wikipedia yeah. i need you to really terrify me with this. yeah but right so when you picture a boat hitting a rock that's fairly big you can either say like okay it's gonna like crush its front end or maybe it's like a titanic and the iceberg thing and it's scraping along the side mm-hmm. but that's what you picture right mm-hmm. here's how bad the ocean was for the brother jonathan as the brother jonathan hits that rock from above the whole the ocean picks up the boat and slams it down onto the rock like a coconut on a skewer and why this is particularly brutal is it can't go forward and it can't go back it cannot get off this rock that the water put it on but because the water is still surging around it it's basically tearing this thing yeah. apart like like a popsicle that's melting yeah just right? grinding like just, it in there yeah <gasps> yeah it is not oh. a i didn't even know that could happen to a boat that's so it's just grist for the mill my friend yep. god's yep. mill oh well speaking of one thing that doesn't help is that they put the ore crusher right above the hole that they had <laughs> fixed really half-assedly a month earlier Shit. so as soon as they hit this giant rock <laughs> The ore crusher is like, fuck this noise, and goes straight through that part of the hull. (laughs) Freedom! (laughs) It just yeets itself out of this hole that was patched up with a band-aid. tend to remain. (laughs) Even if they weigh 4,500 pounds. Right? This is why you wear seatbelts in a car, babies. So, ore crusher didn't have no seatbelt. Even if you won't do it for you, do it for the people whose faces you're going to break with your head yes. if you go flying. Yes. Think it through. For real. Like, you can, you will become, anything that is not secure in a car crash is now a projectile. It's totally a projectile, always, right? Always think about right? that. Right? Okay. Now, here's where the situation is. Within five minutes, Captain DeWolf knows stuff is very bad. I mean, he knows it's bad immediately, of course, but I think if takes a little bit to go okay not only are we not going anywhere but the ship is going oh no we're going down (laughs) that's where we're going yeah we're going down down. like the ship is coming apart yeah Uh, we we cannot (gasps) wait this one out now the good news is they have enough lifeboats for everybody (gasps) what about the camels can they fit <laughs> on the lifeboats? I'm sorry. I'm sorry about the camels. Okay. Um, I'm sorry also about all the people. Because oh. uh, they have life vests and they have lifeboats. But the premise of a lifeboat yeah. requires that you can get in it and stay <gasps> on top of the water. Mm-hmm. So we'll talk about that. Oh. And the premise with life vests is they keep your face out of the water, but they do not protect you from hypothermia. No. Oh, no. So... That's the life fest issue. The lifeboat issue, let me try to describe some of what's going on. There's a lot of what you would call flop dicking around. <laughs> That's such a good <laughs> phrase. It describes many things that people do, all of which are yep. flop dicking around and in a 
In a shipwrecked situation, Flop Dickory has no place, my friends. Nope. Nope. Everything is chaos, because they haven't done any drills or anything, yeah. right? Like, the Titanic hasn't happened yet. Nobody has a plan about this. Yeah. So, they get one of the lifeboats away. So many men are in it that within sight of the ship, it goes over. Oh, no! And spills everybody into the water, which is like 50 degrees, which doesn't sound that cold when it's air, but when it is water, that will kill you. Yeah, oh god, yeah. the ocean just so, played Yahtzee with this little boat of men. It just, oh. it just, it flipped it like a Gen Z kid with a water bottle. It just, the last they saw of that lifeboat, there was one guy left sitting astride of the lifeboat that was upside down. Oh, um, riding it like the white yeah. elephant Outside of White Elephant. Yep. There's now a lot of chaos that ensues that has to do with these iron lifeboats, which as a phrase mm. terrified me. But yeah. I looked at them and I'm like, oh, it's almost just like an aluminum oh. little fishing boat oh. that you would take out. Okay. Right? Like it's, it's very thin and they were a patented variety that was supposed to basically, they were called self-writing. So if mm -hmm. they flipped over, they were supposed to flip back. This may have been a problem because they didn't look secure okay. to a lot of the passengers. And everybody is having all the usual issues of, well, women and children first. Well, I don't want to be separated from my husband. Yeah. Well, you know, who do we put in the boat? Yeah. Who do we keep? What are we doing? One thing that goes down has to do with one of the people who's on this boat that makes me think this is a story for us. Because it's General George Wright. Oh. As, yeah. <laughs> as in that General George Wright. Yeah, yeah. Second act guest star cameo. Yeah. <laughs> Spoken nights perk up your ears. Yeah, he's the only person who's given us two stories that we won't do on the show. <laughs> Between why it's called Hangman Creek and Horse Slaughter Camp. <laughs> this guy can get fucked. He can get so I, fucked. I like, uh, cannot do justice to how, no. how much I don't care for this no, person. No, but they're changing George Wright Drive, the name of it, aren't I they? Think, yes. yes. I think so, yeah. Yeah, good. Genocidal motherfucker. I know, okay, right? But... He and his wife are on this boat and they are, you know, the Civil War is barely over. Like, the Civil War is technically over, but the Shenandoah is still roaming around the Atlantic <laughs> shooting people, right? Like, yes. it's it's barely over. The last captain died because he argued about it. This is yes. very, very direct affecting a lot of people, directly affecting a lot of the people on this ship. One of them, of course, being George Wright, yes. who came to fame in that before he came over here to fuck shit up. Yeah. So what's going on on the deck, though, with General and Mrs. Wright is she gets persuaded to get into a lifeboat on the port side. Okay. But somebody actually sees the captain come over, get her out of it, and escort her across the deck to a wooden lifeboat on the other side that's under the command of one of the officers. Okay. So the best guess people have is that he was thinking, okay, well, it's on the lee of the waves. It has a better chance. Or maybe he didn't trust the iron mm -hmm. boats. But I'm sorry. Your ship is a shish kebab <laughs> in, in the graveyard of the Pacific. Once you get on the boat, you stay on the boat. Yeah. I don't care how fancy you are. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So... They are loading these lifeboats with female passengers. Another notable female passenger who is on the Brother Jonathan is a woman named Rosanna Keenan. 
Rosanna Keenan is one of our lovely, naughty ladies Mm -hmm. who was the wife of a well-known saloon owner in San Francisco whose name was John C. Keenan. They lived in Sacramento. They lived in San Francisco. They made their money with saloons. Rosanna's role in the operation was providing entertainers, including saloon girls doing what saloon girls were assumed to do at the time, which was sex work. Yeah. So she's on the brother Jonathan with seven, quote unquote, soiled doves because she is going along with a small fortune in gold and cash up to Victoria Mm -hmm. from San Francisco because they have a franchise Mm -hmm. for their their old west saloons. Mm -hmm. So she is sent to get into this other lifeboat. They're lowering this boat full of women, but the ship is rolling so hard that the little lifeboat gets smashed across oh, gosh across the 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 bow of the boat itself yeah. basically it's the the two different the little boat is hitting the big boat and vice versa because they cannot get it safely into the water i was gonna say you're thinking about this being lowered and it's not this beautiful controlled window washer coming over a skyscraper there's wind and there's water and there's rocking and both ships are moving and it has to just be like trying to belay yourself off of jello during a hurricane there's just no smooth easy way to do this it's very chaotic then the same damn thing happens when they put the other boats in so Mm -hmm. every time they're doing this they are losing resources they're losing people the ship is coming apart worse it they are having fewer and fewer crew members that they can deputize to these to try to keep things under control. Yeah. The brother Jonathan fires two cannon shots, which is a distress signal that nobody picks up on. <laughs> yeah. And the ship, all in all, goes down within about 45 minutes. <gasps> that so fast? That fast. Oh, that wow. Five minutes to figure out what's happening, and two episodes of The Office later, <laughs> it's over. And oh man there's which i feel like that must feel like the longest time in the mm-hmm. world and very fast yeah. at the same time there are things that we will never know about the end of it because only one of those lifeboats got any survivors to shore no way what we know is that the last that was seen general wright was standing on the deck with a life preserver in his hands Some stories say that his wife linked arms with Mm -hmm. him or something like that, Mm -hmm. but essentially dicking around about what boat she should have been on killed her. Like, that's absolutely what happened. Mrs. Keenan had two life preservers on, which I admire. (laughs) That's that's some hustle. (laughs) She was last seen struggling in the water and something hit her on the head. Yeah. Like, that's, it's, again, it's the issue of it's not just the water that's getting you. Yeah. It's all the other debris that's in the totally. water. This was a thing from from Hurricane Katrina and yeah. other big floods where it's it's not clean water. Yeah. And it's not water that's free of stuff that can really hurt mm-hmm. you. It's hitting the reef at about 1.30 p.m. By quarter after two, the brother Jonathan is underwater. Oh, my gosh. About 5 p.m., one lifeboat makes it to Chetco Harbor, and then they have to walk eight miles into Crescent City 
Oh, dear. And that's not fair at all. Oh, dear. No. <laughs> that's not okay. No, you want your ordeal to be over, thank you. <laughs> they must have been pretty brisk, because it says, about 8 p.m., a fleet of small boats was sent to St. George Reef. And I'm like, okay, that's not, like, that fast. But they had kids with them. They had been through it. My goodness. I don't know. if I mean, a lot of people had been hanging out in their cabins, so when they got hustled out, they're in, like, their their pajamas, mm-hmm. basically. Mm-hmm. They don't have shoes on. They're not prepared for any mm-hmm. of this. So the information starts getting spread that there's been this horrible accident. And as is standard, there's a lot of fake information that goes everywhere. And then there's some stuff that we've pieced together later. Before we get into that, I'm going to let you talk to us about our sponsor. I love being able to talk about our sponsor because, as you all know, I'm super into Jessie's Instagram account. Jessie is our sponsor. She is a realtor and a land seller in Washington State, but also the Pacific Northwest in general. So you want to follow her on Instagram. It's Jessie underscore sells underscore land on Instagram. Today, she's got me all riled up because on her Instagram stories, she posted can anyone tell me where I'm at today? And she took a picture and I know it's on I-90. I know it's on I-90. And it's somehow between George Washington and for like Ellensburg. I can, I can see it in my head. And I sent her a message saying, oh, you're totally by Thorpe. And she's like, no, good guess. What do you mean? No, good guess. I've driven this. Like we used to go to Spokane monthly. I've driven this section of I-90 more times than most people have, and I can, I know I know where this is. But anyway, she posts fun stuff like that that gives you a different viewpoint of specifically Washington State, but all over the Pacific Northwest that is equal parts really cool to see and infuriating because I know where this is, (laughs) and she hasn't posted the answer yet. So if you're like me and you think you know Washington really well, follow along this account (laughs) so that you can test your Washington chops. Oh my goodness. (laughs) I get distracted by her website a lot, as we know. And I think one thing that I had to send to people when I read it, because it made me laugh a lot. Let me... Ah, here we go. Yeah, so it's a ranch, almost 4,000 acres between the Kettle River and Lake Roosevelt, etc., etc. Four homesteads, farmhouse, foreman's house, barn, springs, large pond. Here's my favorite part. Historical tales report two mines. Contact your broker for a private showing to see if you can find them. <laughs> There's two mines on your property. Where they are is a fun surprise for it's later. Such a fun <laughs> with you let's go in together there's a mine for each of us provided that we can find them i've been watching so much forensic files lately and i'm like so what you're telling me is the cops don't know where either of these mines are yes unless i tell them unless i tell them (laughs) that's exactly what you're telling me (laughs) (laughs) to me it also sounds like plausible deniability for your insurance agent when you inadvertently stumble <laughs> yeah. upon said mine and fall to your death, they can go, well, you, I, you never yeah. reported the exact location, so we're not going to pay out the death insurance. 
Oh yeah, you know, you know there's something in the paperwork that's like, look. <laughs> <laughs> tricky, Come on, tricky. Now, be cool. <laughs> All I know is that I would find the mine and it would be full of rabid possums or something awful. It wouldn't be full of gold. I wouldn't get the ore. Just angry animals. In my imagination, I, I think I think that mines are like the one I went to in Idaho or something, right? Mm-hmm. Like the one by Wallace that Lynn loves doing the tour love of. Those. Or some Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Yes. <laughs> Just like, you know, I would get two steps in. My iPhone flashlight would not illuminate the space. No. I would picture a murderer yeah. who'd been living in oh, there yeah. for a million years and I'd run away. Or, uh, that's what I would do. I think that there would be a Liz-shaped cloud of dust where you nope. had just like Wiley e. Coyote run straight out of the frame. That's what we're. That's what kind of property we're oh talking. My God, about. I my favorite one from her website still is this one where it's yeah historic ranch, lots of outbuildings, four million acres, right by this, twenty eight streams, poultry shed has been converted to an emu barn, four sheds, and you're just like what? Who, who in the middle of nowhere was raising that many emus? What? Emu barn. <laughs> what? Why did you have dinosaurs near the Canadian border in Washington? I don't know. Yep. Did I tell you my chicken learned how to lie? How does a chicken lie? What? So there's the thing is Megatron thinks she's ready to be a mother. <sighs> even though she does not let Stevie mount her. Yes. She just is ready. So she's going to... We let them roam the yard now because we have the fence, mm-hmm. and her plan is she's going to hide eggs. <laughs> and the way chickens do this is that it's not that, like, the timer starts from when the egg is laid. They need 28 days of continuous heat. Yeah. So when they have enough eggs, they'll sit down on them and start the process. So that would work better if they were fertilized for a one, but also if it weren't below freezing. Mm-hmm. And she's leaving her stupid little eggs out all over the yard. And one time, even trying to, she stayed out all night. We thought she'd cooped up with the others. And Stevie just, I guess, gave up. And so she spent the night sitting on her stupid little egg in her stupid little nest. (laughs) And then we just had to take it away again. Stupid little frozen eggs that are just rocks at this point. They break. Like, it expands. It's really sad. Oh, wow. And you can't eat them. But the thing is, because we know she does this, chickens have a song that they do. Okay. That is called the egg song. My understanding is that it's a, it's a very loud thing that they do to draw attention away from any predators that might have seen where they put the egg. Okay. Basically, they're trying to make sure that if anything was watching them, they're the most ostentatious Aww. thing. And it's a very classic, like, Looney Tunes thing. And I will actually try to do it because I know people enjoy this. Please do it. It's the... Yes! It's the low and the high. That's the egg song. So because Megatron is hiding eggs, when we hear her sing the egg song, we go out. Because we're like, we got to figure out where she's putting the eggs. Yeah. When we go out, she will run up to us and scream because she only thinks of us as people who give her treats. <laughs> and often it works. Often I'm like, you're right, Megatron. I do want to sit down. I do want to hang out with you, Megatron, and your very weird dinosaur self. <laughs> so I, it works. Like, she's trained me. Yes. And then here's the part where the lion comes in. 
Which is now, because she knows it makes me come out, she'll sing the egg song when there's no egg. (laughs) (laughs) And she taught Stevie to do it, too. Yes. So they both sit there together. Yes. (laughs) And I'm like, Stevie, I don't believe you. (laughs) Oh, but you have to believe her a little because you know she's got a propensity for dropping eggs around the side of the house, hiding them very well from you. Sometimes there's going to be an egg, but not as many times a day as she pulls that stunt. She's gaslighting you. She's too smart. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Stupid chickens. I love them so much. I love them so much. I know I talk about them all the time, but the other day, Matt and I were sitting there giving them treats, just sitting there on our little bench out Mm -hmm. back, like we're in Central Park feeding pigs. Yes. And they're all kind of running around and having their little squabbles over who gets to have what. Arrow, who never knows what's going on and has always been afraid to ask. It's not like, and at this point, like, she's she's never known what's going on. Oh, God, love her. She's the dumbest chicken we have. And she goes up the back steps just for no reason, just because she was pointed that direction. Okay. She's our hey, hey. Yes. Of Moana. Yes. Like, that's 100. Like, I have seen her eat rocks. <laughs> so she goes up the back steps. Some squabble between the other chickens overflows into her space. She's also very, very jumpy. Okay. And it overflows into her space. She panics and flies off the back steps into the side of my head. <laughs> As I sit there, I get clobbered by this fat chicken who shouldn't even be able to get off the ground because she's an orb. She's an orb, Devin. I've sent you pictures. She's the best at being a hen. She's the best there is at what she does, and what she does is turn food into hen. She turns food and into she, more hen. But when she's scared enough, she can get a little bit off the ground and fly straight into the side of my head, which was alarming and unexpected. I it with a feathery cantaloupe. Yep. <laughs> I'm just glad I didn't swat her. Oh, arrow. So, so in conclusion, I'm getting curved and and yeah. dunked on 24-7 yeah. by these birds. Yeah. And it's great. Yeah, they're dabbing on you, and they have brains the size of walnuts. Oh, if that. Yeah. But, <laughs> yeah. That's all. I just, uh, imagine me like that, but with six emus. Like, I'd be dead. I'd be dead the first day. Don't just like an emu would just raptor me, right? It would. it would just like do something weird and I'd watch it and then I wouldn't see the attack from the side from the other nope. two emus that I didn't know were nope. there. Nope. That'd be Absolute it. clever girl situation, which is why you and I need to buy some land together and instead of 12 emus, we'll have 36 chickens. I I believe that they could take you down by sheer force of numbers. However, <laughs> I think you'd have more of a fighting chance. You might be able to sing egg song loud enough that <laughs> I heard it and came out to rescue you. Well, with how committed Megatron is to being involved in everything we're doing, yeah. I have gotten pretty good at gently punting things <laughs> to just sort of, you know, like with a little dog or whatever, yeah. where you're like, let me just sort of steer you with yeah. my foot yeah. and get you yeah. out of the way. Oh my goodness. I will tell you a little bit more about the immediate aftermath of the wreck. Okay. So they only managed to get three boats in the water at all. Is that it? Oh my. Yeah. For at least 100 passengers. Yeah. So there was the first one that went down and ended up with a guy riding it like a roll-top desk. 
there was the second one with all the women yeah. that went down. And then there's this third lifeboat, which has 11 crew members, five women who are passengers, and three children. Okay. And that's what manages to get to the shore and from there to Crescent City. Wow. Now, some people look askance at the fact that it's 11 crew members, right? <laughs> like that yeah. is a, quite the ratio. But the thing is, the I, probably without them, they wouldn't have made it to shore. Yeah. You needed people who could bail and could steer and could keep this boat together. Yeah. So rescue boats are launched. They are they have to turn back. There's just no way to get out to that. Oh wow. Two days after the wreck, people get excited because they think they see more survivors on Seal Rock. <sighs> they send out the boats. <sighs> Takes 12 hours to row out and back. Guess what the survivors were on Seal Rock? <laughs> they were sea lions. For a moment, I was like, oh, dead bodies. And then you said, guess what, in that voice. And I'm like, okay, I got guess it. Guess what? <laughs> yeah, yeah. How did it, how did it get sea to lions. its name again? <laughs> I mean, it would be better if they were seals, but sea lions is still pretty uh, good. Close enough. Close enough. The only difference is the ears and the bifurcated tail. Wow. Just had that locked and loaded. <laughs> I don't know if that's true, but it sounds right to me. <gasps> Trust You me. should. All right. Now, there is so much to cover in this story. This is going to be a two-parter. <gasps> so on the sea lion note is where I'm going to wrap things up for us. When we come back to this story, some of the things that we're going to cover are... Other notable people who were on that ship and what happened to them. Okay. Supernatural <laughs> elements. Hint, they drowned. But hint, they drowned. <laughs> supernatural uh, elements. Yeah. Okay. Supernatural elements and the treasure. Mm! Oh, because there was so much gold. <gasps> there was so much gold. Let me set up how much gold there how was. Much gold I was will give there? you one preview of one of the people who was on this ship. Yes. There was this guy named E.W. Eddy, who was the payroll guy for the army, <laughs> the territorial army. Oh. So he's got the army's payroll in gold. He does, doesn't plus, he? Plus a ton of gold that's meant as treaty payments to various tribes in the area. Um, gonna call bullshit. We were, mm, we were never gonna pay them. They just said no, that that I'm money sure that, went that down way, with the ship. They're like, oh no. Yeah, exactly. My Christmas present didn't make it. I think it was because of COVID. Oh, shoot. <laughs> Gosh, you guys. Ugh. I lost in the mail? Or yeah. I got hacked, I think. Yeah. But like, points for trying. It's the thought that counts, yo. That guy has all this gold. Oh, my goodness. Rosanna has all mm. this gold and cash. Yeah. One of the women who goes into the water. Let me see what her name was. Is she one of those ladies who made her corsets? She filled her corsets with gold coins. So she's full of money. And then she just sinks like a No rock. wonder Rosanna needed two life jackets. Oh, here we go. So they had a, a narrative from somebody who survived. And what's great is they're like a woman's statement. <laughs> like, yeah. Okay. I, I'm pretty sure from context that this is one of the quote-unquote soiled ducks. Yes. Because she is sort of a free agent, not using her name, mm -hmm. 
is up on the deck and we know one of them survived, but she has like no job that they ever mention. In this. Right. So she's talking about, she's the one who gives us the story about like what happens to Mrs. Keenan. And she says that Mrs. Keenan, when she gets into the lifeboat with her two life vests, she's wearing her nightgown and she was wearing $7,000 worth of diamonds. And Yo. that's the kind of thing where you're like, well, on the one hand, newspapers just made whatever the hell up that they felt yeah. like. On the other hand, in her shoes, as a savvy business lady who liked having money, yeah. if they were like, hey, the ship's going down, I'd be like, I'm wearing my jewels. Oh, I'm <laughs> those are coming. That's with practically me. how I sleep. A nightgown and $7,000 <laughs> worth of diamonds. Thank you. This narrative is the same one that says that General Wright and his wife basically just stood there arm in arm as stuff went down. So I have a feeling there was a little bit of coaching eh. and help because the story that the newspapers really, really liked about the brother Jonathan was saying the captain did everything he could and the crew did everything well. And if anything was a problem, it was the people were too reluctant to get in the boats because they were too polite. <laughs> like, this is the story that they really, really like. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. I I understand that that sells papers, that kind of noble down with the ship. I get it. But yeah. come on, now it's an American yeah. ship, not Canadian. People weren't that polite. <laughs> well, intriguingly, everybody who gets saved, there's the 11 men who are Portuguese, apparently. They used to be whalers until the Shenandoah shot their whaling mm. ship. There's four white women, two children, and a Chinese woman and child. I hope she had enough English that she could make it back to where she was. Absolutely. Good God. Yeah. Can you imagine? Just <sighs> whole life rocked right there. And then you're like, well, in the middle of the wilderness with some people who just went through some shit like I did. Now I can't even communicate with them what I need. Yeah. There are actually several other very prominent people who are affiliated with large amounts of wealth on the ship. I can't So wait. my teaser for you as we head into the next thing is that it is estimated that the money that went down with the brother Jonathan is worth about $50 million today. <gasps> this is the $50 million cliffhanger right here. That's where I'm leaving oh it for today. Goodness. I'm going to run through our outro very quickly. We got the socials, the Facebook, the Twitter, and the Instagram, Ouija Broads. We have OuijaBroads.com. Every time I get a transcript done, I've been putting it up. It's fun to go back through the old ones and just be like, what are we even talking about? <laughs> There's a note. There's a note in Palouse Earthworm where I seriously just am, in, in brackets am like, this doesn't make more sense if you can hear it. I don't know what I was talking about. <laughs> I think I edited this so that the context for what I was saying is gone and I don't remember what it was. I'm That's sorry. That's hilarious. Like, I just had to be like, I don't want the transcript to make you think that like you missed some nuance. I just seriously say something that makes no sense. That's hilarious. Talking, but unintentionally for once. So Ouijabrods.com, Ouijabrods on your social media platforms. I gave you the update about the new Patreon situation and how we're going to do that mm -hmm. in a more straightforward way. And I just want to keep getting right back into it. So I'm going to tell people to live weird. Die weird. And stay weird. Thanks for listening, Thanks folks. for listening. See you next time.